Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. High school seniors, most of you now have been admitted to multiple schools, and it's decision time. I know this is a really big moment. I'm actually working with multiple students now who, you know, got into more than one school, got into, you know, typically I'd say, you know, maybe four really great schools that they're extremely excited about. And uh, so now it's, it's decision time. So I'm really hoping that all of you high school seniors, um, though you may have experienced some disappointments along the way, that uh, you're not letting your disappointment in not getting into your top choice impede your excitement and the opportunities in front of you. And I always like to tell students, remember this time next year, you'll be in the last month or so of your first year as a college student. It's a really exciting time and college can be such a great experience um, as long as you really celebrate and embrace what's going to be ahead for you. Um, but speaking of seniors, unfortunately, a really small percentage of you may have not been admitted to any colleges. If that's you, you may feel like you're completely alone, but I promise, unfortunately, this does happen to you know some students every single year. So in the second segment of today's show, I'll be addressing this exact situation with my colleague, Amy Alexander, who, like me, in addition to having worked in college admissions, um, has been assisting students with the college admission process for years. So, um, so both of us are in a position to help with this. Um, for our third segment, Jennifer Simmons, um, or Simons, excuse me, currently of College Coach and formerly of Tufts and Northeastern University, will discuss. Will be joining me to discuss being a third culture kid. Um, what is it, and how might it impact a college admission application? But first, we're going to be talking with Ka- Kathy Ruby, formerly of the St. Olaf Office of Financial Aid, um, and currently with Bright Horizons College Coach, and she will be giving advice about creating a financially smart college list, which hopefully you're all thinking about this and paying attention to this, those of you who are parents of juniors, um, you know, you, you want to start the list from the beginning should be financially smart. Um, so be yeah. sure to listen in. And Kathy's laughing because she knows how true this is. So you got to be thinking about money when you do the list from the beginning. All right. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, Sally. Good to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, all right. So the title of this segment, the full formal title is Tools and Advice for creating a financially smart college list. So how exactly, what is that and how exactly do you do that? Well, so I think the definition of a financially smart list really does vary from family to family, right? So everybody has different ideas about what's affordable, what they're willing to pay for, what the value of different types of education are. So the most important thing is, though, no matter what your definition is, that if finances matter to you in this college search, um, and you are the parent of a junior or a 10th grader or a 9th grader, um, make sure that your student knows that. Uh, make sure that if you don't have a blank check to write, if you have financial limitations, make sure that you're sitting down with your student to kind of talk about those 
the importance of putting together a financially feasible college list. Um, and, you know, we would, we would say you can certainly put any college on the list, even if you think it might not be unaffordable, because in the end you don't know exactly what a college is going to give you until, until you get admitted. But you want to make sure you have a few, at least two, financially feasible options on the list that you're pretty sure after the research that you do that they're going to be affordable um, because in the end, you want your student to have a choice to make, right? You don't want them to feel like they're settling for their financial safety school. So you want to make sure you've got good options there. And, and remember, too, and I know we talk about this all the time, but as you're starting, as your student is putting together that college list, um, any, any co- college that goes on the list should be one that your student is happy to wear the sweatshirt, right? That it's someplace they're excited about the possibility of attending, even if it is a financial safety school for them. So make mm-hmm. sure that they're finding the schools that could be affordable that they really want to attend because there are those out there. Yeah, I can't stress enough as someone who, again, has guided students through this process, how important it is to talk to the students earlier. I mean, I worked with, like the the prime example for me was a student who I worked with who got into Pomona and got into UCLA's honors program, obviously very mm-hmm. incredible student. Um, and suddenly money was an issue. Her parents had never talked to her about money being an issue before, but suddenly it was. And what was unfortunate to me is that they were not addressing it directly. Like they were basically trying to talk her into reasons why they thought UCLA would be better, even though right. she really liked Pomona better. And and they were trying to get me to talk her into uh, UCLA being better. And I said, I can't do that. They're both wonderful options. They're very different. She seems to want a small college. If you're concerned about cost, have that direct conversation with her. And that was very disturbing to me that they wouldn't even directly say to her, look, we don't want to tap into our retirement. You know, I mean, like, and I told her when she came to me, when she figured out what was going on, that it was their right to tell her that they couldn't afford Pomona. Right. Absolutely. But but it was, it was her right to ask them to be direct with her. Right. And most kids, I mean, if you're communicating right up front, they want to help you, right? Your, your kids, if, if they know you have limitations, I mean, I know my kids were happy to, to, to hear that conversation. They wouldn't have wanted to hear it the night before they were making their decision. But I think, you know, our kids want us to not have to live in their basements during our retirement, right? Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You pay student loans later, you move back in with your parents. One, one thing to think about. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So how do you, okay, so... Um, So how do you find schools that you think will be affordable? Because one of the things that we always tell parents, and you already alluded to this, is you don't know how much aid you'll get. Like the most expensive schools sometimes give the best financial aid. So Right, right. And so that's that's the key is so we all know there's a sticker price that colleges charge, and then the vast majority of students get some kind of a discount, but not everybody does. Um, And so how do you figure out how likely it is that your student's going to get a discount at that particular college. So, of course, the first thing you have to do is look up the sticker price, then try to figure out um, what, how likely it is your student will get a discount. Um, and remember, there are two reasons that colleges give that aid. So the first is financial need, and then the other is based on merit, um, some characteristics that your student has that makes them attractive to that school. So let's tackle the need-based discounts first. So okay, great. Just, uh, okay, so... 
So let's think about financial need. Remember how financial need is defined is that a college takes their annual cost of attendance and they subtract the expected family contribution. And then if there's a positive difference, that means your student has financial need and the college will offer hopefully some grants and scholarships, mostly grants and scholarships to meet that need. So let's say a college costs 70000 a year and your expected family contribution is 20000 That means you have need of 50000 Now, the thing to remember is that there are actually only about 80 to 100 colleges in the country that meet need fully. Um, and then for the other colleges that will look at your financial need, they really only, if they're if they have to choose, they're going to meet need for the students they want to enroll the most. And then they may gap other students who are in the applicant pool. So I guess the first step to know is, first, what is your expected family contribution? And so there are estimators out there, so you can have a sense of what your expected family contribution will be. The best one that we like is on the Big Future website, the College Board's website. Um, and then you can also try, every, every college is required to have a net price calculator on their website, which is essentially a way for you to estimate how much need-based financial aid you might qualify for at that particular institution. So this really gets to what their financial aid packaging policies are and whether or not they'll meet your need fully once it's established. So the first thing you should do is search for a net price calculator on any college's website and try to get an estimate. Now, they're not perfect because a lot of schools don't keep them up to date sometimes. Sometimes the range of estimate that's given to you is so broad that it's not very helpful. Um, but definitely try the net price calculator first because it can give you an idea of what a college might cost. Um, the other problem with a net price calculator, though, is that it doesn't always tell you about what you might qualify for in what your student may qualify for in merit scholarships from an institution. I mean, you can tell if they're trying to get at that, if their net price calculator asks you for test scores and GPA, but sometimes they don't give you the full picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're not completely transparent. Um, so that's good for people to know. By the way, before we move on to the next question, I just wanted to highlight that you mentioned the Big Future website on the College Board. That's mm -hmm. a great website that everybody should write down. Big Future, that's one word, bigfuture.collegeboard.org. And you can get all kinds of information about finding a college, career information, et cetera, as well. So I just wanted to give that um, an extra plug. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. So now let's move on to merit aid. How can you estimate that? Okay. So that's a lot trickier. It's not always as straightforward. Um, but I'd say the first step is to review the college's website. And usually you'll find information about merit scholarships. Most colleges will have sort of an admissions and financial aid website for prospective students where they're going to talk both about how you apply for admission but also how you might finance their education. So often there'll be a separate section about scholarships for first-year students. And so you just have to research the college, uh, just sort of try to understand the language that they're using. Now, if you're lucky, um, some institutions, especially larger public institutions, they might actually have a chart that says, you know, if your test score is this and your GPA is this, you can expect to receive this scholarship. So that that's nice. Um, but then on other college websites, they might use language like you have to be exceptional or, you know, extraordinary achievement. And so then you have to figure out what does that mean for that college. And that ultimately comes to figuring out where do I sit in the applicant pool of this college. 
Um, and the Big Future website is another great place to see that because you can see you know, the middle 50% test scores, you can see distributions of GPAs, all for the class that was most recently admitted. Um, but remember that merit scholarships are driven by how the college is competing in the higher education marketplace. Colleges offer those merit scholarships to attract students. So remember, too, if you're looking at really competitive, uh, well-known, highly selective colleges and programs, they don't necessarily offer anything in merit scholarships, or they may not offer much. They may only offer to the very top percentage in their applicant pool. Um, so you can look at the Big Future website to figure out where your student sits in the applicant pool, and if they're in the top quartile, that makes them more likely to get money. Um, the College Navigator website, uh, which is run through the National Center for Education Statistics, um, that will give you uh, good information about colleges, how selective they are, but also average um, net price by income category. So you can just kind of fill out some more information there. Um, if, your if your high school uses Naviance, you might get a sense there. Um, also, just ask the college. I mean, if you're on a visit, just say, you know, do you award merit scholarships? Do a little research first, but then ask them, you know, what's, what, what's the profile of a student who might get one? Um, there are tools online that are beginning to grow, um, collegedata.com, and then, of course, our, our um, partner, Edmit, um, where they're starting to actually aggregate student award data so that you can start to get a sense of what colleges are doing. Um, so do some Internet research as well. So essentially you want to hedge your bets by making sure your student is applying to colleges that are easier for them to get into. Um, so, And I always talk about the shape of this financially smart college list. You really want to weight that list toward the schools that are no problem for you to get into. So, you know, maybe have three or four of those schools because you're likely to get in, you're likely to get a good scholarship, and sometimes you can even you know, go back to the schools and compare them, you know, and, and negotiate for even more. Um, and so really you have to encourage your student, a big part of this is to encourage your student to keep an open mind. And, and you and I, you know, we all talk about this so much, but there are so many fantastic schools out there that, that your student and their friends may never have heard of um, that might offer great merit awards because people haven't heard of them as much, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they offer great educations as well. So you have to encourage your student to keep a very open mind in order to put together this very financially smart list. Because remember, college is, is what you do with it, not necessarily where you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always think it's sort of humorous when high school students think they're the arbiter of college quality. Like, you really think that your friends know all the good colleges in the country? <laughs> Obviously, I can't say it to them exactly like that, but I do try and make, get that point across. So maybe I know more yeah. than your friends. Maybe. <laughs> so. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> possibly. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kathy. All right. Glad to help. All right, so now we're going to be taking a short break, but when we return, I'll be talking with Amy Alexander about what to do if you haven't been admitted to any colleges. So stick around. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, we'll now be talking to Amy Alexander about what to do if you have not been admitted anywhere. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much, Sally, for having me on. Oh, it's absolutely Not my a- pleasure. And I like talking to a fellow long-term veteran who's been doing this for <laughs> ages. So, um, and I do think we're probably two of the best people to, to be doing it because we, I think both of us have spent at this point more time counseling students than we ever did on the admission side. Is that correct with you? Exactly, exactly. And these kinds of topics come up and they stress students and families and it's not, it doesn't mean it's the end. It doesn't mean they are, have no other options. So, um, yes, after doing this for so many years, I'm pretty calm about this topic. And, you know, you and I both know people take different paths, right? There's not one way to go about this. There's the mainstream way of applying and getting in but uh, and starting college right away, but there's so many other ways to do this. So, um, you know, I'm not sure kind of, how you want to start it, but I have a lot of ideas. Okay, well, first, let's, um, I think one of the things that might be helpful is to discuss one or two 
of the ways, or there's probably, I really think that there's one main way where it might happen that a student might not get in anywhere. Like, so for people Mm -hmm. who are juniors, how do they make sure that it doesn't happen to them next year? Well, that is a great question, Sally, and a timely question, because I think, you know, since the admissions scandal broke, things are going to be done very differently going forward. Um, and even in addition to that, what we've seen the last few years as college advisors is that the admissions landscape has just gotten more competitive. Um, it's harder to predict. Uh, students and families have to have very realistic uh, expectations going into it. You know, I have students who I would consider very strong academically based on standardized test scores, rigor of courses, their GPA, their final grades in each course, who are getting waitlisted and denied at schools that 10 years ago I would have put on as a no problem or safe school for them. So uh, the the key here is for juniors to really do their research and put together a realistic list of colleges, a balanced list that has probably more safe, no problem schools, if you will, and plenty of target schools. Fine to have the reach schools, but have plenty that are very realistic with their academic profile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I recommend. You have to have that balanced list. You have to be realistic about the the state of the industry, so to speak. Like, what is the landscape? It's highly competitive at that sort of group of colleges um, at the top. So you need to have, you can't just be applying to those schools. Um, well, you know what, our, though? What, what I saw this year, Sally, was not just that, but, you know, we always talk about the Ivies are the highly selective, right? The similar, just the rung below the Ivies. But I'm even talking about a few rungs lower, a few tiers lower. I am noticing that those are much more competitive and selective than they were even three or five years ago. So mm-hmm. students have to look at not just, you know, I work with families and the parents will say, oh, that was a safe school. That was a party school 20 years ago, back in my day. And I said, well, that was 20 years ago. I might not agree with it anyway, but that was 20 years ago. Things are very different. You need to either use Naviance, which is an educational software tool that a lot of high schools um, offer, uh, or you can go on College Board, or you can go to the various search engines and really look at the statistics of the last three years. That's much more telling than going much further back because things are changing rapidly in the last few years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I am seeing a lot more waitlisting going on. You mm-hmm. know, there were there were um, certain schools that would always already a few years ago waitlist students who if they weren't confident you were going to come. And now I'm seeing more and more students play that game or not students, excuse me, but colleges play that game. So... Exactly. Um, you know, another factor is, it's interesting, you said, what can juniors in high school do make sure to make sure that they aren't, you know, all of a sudden without college offers? But the other thing, and I think you and I both know, students might call us and say, oh, I have nothing, what do I do? But realistically, they might have one or two of their safe choice schools that gave them an offer of admission, but they didn't want to go to those schools. So my suggestion to juniors is, don't put a college on your list or don't actually fill out an application and submit it 
if you don't want to go to that college. You know, when we talk about challenge and we talk about target and we talk about no problem or safe schools, it's not that the safe schools are bad or schools you wouldn't want to go to. It's just in terms of admission selectivity. You should want to go to all the colleges on your list, and all the colleges can be really great fits for you. They're just admissions-wise maybe more selective, but you should put two to four on the no problem uh, part of your list that you really want to go to so when it comes time that maybe you don't get into your reaches or your targets, but you get into two or three what we call no problem schools, you do have options, right? So that's another part of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right, so let's let's get into the nitty-gritty. For the student who isn't, you know, isn't complaining and feeling disappointed because they didn't get into their top choices. We're not talking about those students now. Now we're talking about students who genuinely every single, they have not gotten an admit from any Mm -hmm. college. So what is kind of like the really concrete advice that we give those students? Okay, great. So the first thing they want to do is go and meet with their guidance counselor, or if it's a smaller school, it might be the dean. Um, You know, it depends what the hierarchy is of the school. It's typically the guidance counselor. Go and sit down with the guidance counselor and say, hey, I applied to these six schools or these eight schools. I I got denied or waitlist everywhere. I did not get an offer of acceptance. You know, can you help me? Um, what do you think happened? Not just what happened. Maybe they can call some of the colleges, maybe the safer ones or the no problem ones, and say, hey, what happened? And give them advice for future applications. You know, should they, they do something else and apply? But go to the guidance counselor, get advice. Maybe they can help you. Um, but there's a couple things you can do. You can start at community college. That's a great option, and what a lot of students do. Some students choose that in the first place, to start one or two years at a community college and then transfer to a four-year college. Other students might take a gap semester or year and then reapply. Again, keeping in contact with your guidance counselor because you're going to need all of that high school information. So don't just kind of leave and not check in with the guidance counselor. Um, so you can do a gap year, a gap semester. You can get a job. You can, you know, work. You can. But then the other thing is if you really do want to start college, there are still colleges that have openings. So there's a couple sites you can go to. You can go to um, Big Future. I heard you mention that with Happy, and that's a wonderful site with a wealth of information for students in all aspects of the process. Um, but you can go and sort by application deadline. Some schools have rolling deadlines, so their deadlines are not until May, June, July, or they're even just ongoing because they often don't fill their class. Um, if you go to what we call NACAC, it's the National Association for College Admissions Counseling. That's a wonderful tool, a great site, and they will often show schools that have later deadlines or rolling deadlines or that are still open. The common application also has, you can go in there and see and filter by date who's still accepting applications. And sometimes by the spring, when students have heard, by May 1st, they've heard, there's 300 or so that still have openings. So there are ways you can still go to college, and you might end up loving that college and staying there, or you might end up saying, okay, I came, I worked hard, you know, I've got strong grades and a good profile, and then maybe want to transfer from there. So there's plenty of options that students have. 
Mm-hmm. I would even say um, if you're at a school that admits over 50% and like, let's say you're just, it's one of these kind of fluke situations where you're a really strong student. Maybe you were looking at, um, you know, Ivy leagues and you just didn't get in there, but you were sort of close. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard of situations where a student calls up a school that nominally their application process is closed, but when they found out how strong the particular student was, they actually were willing to like look at an application from him or her because they hadn't completely filled their class yet. So I'm not saying this happens all the time, but with a very strong student, it might be worth a phone call. I'm a little hesitant to say this because I have this image of like all these people calling Harvard. I want to be very clear. (laughs) Harvard, Harvard or Yale would do exactly what you just did and just laugh, like laugh so hard. Um, I'm talking again about schools that admit over 50% of their applicant pool, maybe even like 70%, but are still very strong academically, just maybe a little easier to get into because maybe they're in a location that's seen as less desirable, for example. So something to think about. No, I agree with that, Sally. I don't think it's all that common, and I think students don't know about it, so I think it's good that you brought it up. I also do think that um, the schools we're talking about are probably right, but probably less desirable location-wise, you know, for some students, maybe more alternative schools, um, have a liberal arts bent, maybe not specific business program engineering. Those are, are not going to happen. Um, but I think those more alternative schools, more open, they might, if you call and say, listen, I just, I shot too high and, you know, now I want to be realistic and I want to go to college. Um, if you get in there before they start looking at their wait list, you might be stronger than their wait list candidates and they're going to open up to 20 or 40 spots to the wait list. So it wouldn't be that hard to bring you in. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I do, I do think that's an option. I think more often than not, um, you're going to get those kids who maybe weren't really strong academically that just sent out a bunch of college to a bunch of, uh, college applications and just didn't even, maybe they don't have the knowledge or the background or the support and just put in four or five colleges, didn't get anywhere. We're probably going to see more, hear from more of those kinds of students. That's why I think it's a good idea to think of an alternative uh, path, um, if you will, and or look at some of the colleges that are more like 70, 75% admit rate. I still think when you're 50, 55% admit rate, it's still going to be fairly selective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Over 75 is going to be safer, um, without yep. a doubt. And again, though, there are great colleges that are in that category. They just might be often in places like rural Indiana, which, you know, mm-hmm. is not, cons- you know, they're great schools, but, you know, these days kids really want cities. Like everybody seems to want a city these days. So, um, yeah. so I think, you know, and so these are still good places though. And it's a great place to even, like I said, to start, they might go and fall in love with it, but at least start and then, you know, get it. You, you can do that. If you really want to start college, you feel like, Oh, I want to keep the academic train going. I need this or a local community college. Uh, I know plenty of students start that way and get their feet wet, feel secure, and say, oh, okay. And sometimes then they have even different options when they're transferring or looking at four-year schools from there. But I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't call taking a gap year or gap semester as like, oh, I didn't get in anywhere. I have to do this. 
I encourage students who get into four-year schools to do gap semesters and gap years because I think you can learn a lot about yourself and you might end up getting more out of your college experience if you do that, reapply, you'll have a little more maturity, you'll be a little more realistic. Um, so I think that's a very healthy thing to do, um, taking a gap year, working, studying, traveling, taking a cooking course, like whatever, really growing as a person. So that's something I think a lot of people don't consider, but I think is in colleges, look well on that if a student is productive and constructive in that year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do want to emphasize that, too. I mean, actually, I'm somebody who did take a gap year. I went on a program overseas and definitely came back to college, you know, I think more mature than the other first year students. You know, I mean, I just wasn't as concerned about whether I would be able to fit in popularity, I kind of had done it already. So I just knew I knew that I would find my place. But, um, you know, a lot of parents, when I talk to them about it, they're like, well, I can't afford it. But, you know, there's programs Mm -hmm. like AmeriCorps, where students actually get a stipend and their expenses are paid. Um, You know, and also, like you said, you can just get a job work. I've seen students do this, too, where they get a job, they work for the first six months, and then they travel for the second six months. And that's their Mm -hmm. particular gap year. So there's a lot of different ways to do this. Um, And it is, I do want, I think it's great that you're sort of with me in pushing back on this notion that a gap year is a bad thing. Because yeah, colleges, as long as you haven't just sat on your couch and watched television, I think colleges really like gap years. So Mm -hmm. every college I worked at was impressed with a student who had a little more kind of road under their feet. Yeah, I think it shows a sign of maturity to do that and to to then realize, you know, we've all learned as, you know, you and I have been doing this a long time, failures, and I don't think it's a failure, but, you know, getting rejections from colleges, not getting what you wanted, that's actually sometimes a really healthy thing. You've got to learn that in some aspect of your life, right? And the failures, mistakes often make you um, really take a step back evaluate your situation and consider, hey, what, what else can I do to make yourself kind of richer and, and not make it not just about, oh, the college acceptances. So I think it really can add to your character and who you are, and colleges will, will look at that, you know. So, and I think the students shouldn't think because they didn't get in anywhere, oh, I just approached the process wrong. I made a mistake. Okay. Let's start over. Let's reevaluate. And that's mm-hmm. the attitude you should have instead of like, oh, no. Or for you parents listening, oh, no, how am I going to, like, go to the, the local you know, community potluck and say my kid didn't get in anywhere? Just say, yep, he learned his lesson. Now he's going to be doing this. Then it's not a bad thing, you know. Right, right. No, it's not. And frankly, uh, I think we've seen the extreme examples of parents who are unwilling to have their children um you know, with the recent admission scandal, if those parents had just been willing to let their parent, their children sort of figure out, like, who they were, where they could realistically get into, um, you know, none of this would have happened. So, um, yeah, exactly. I mean, just let your kid experience failure now uh, when you're in a position to kind of help them through it. And, you know, advise them that there's just, there's other paths now. This isn't the end of the, this is not the end of it all. Um, all right, exactly. well, we, there, there, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say they're 17, 18, maybe 19 years old. This is the beginning. This is no, by, by no means an end. So there's a long road ahead. So they should feel that way. Mm-hmm. All right, great. Well, I actually think that's a great place to end this on. So thank you so much, Amy. You're very welcome. Take care. Take care. All right. So we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, I'll be welcoming Jennifer Simons to discuss third culture kids in the admission process. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back, everyone. Um, I'm now here with Jen Simons to discuss Third Culture Kids. Um, Jen, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Sally. 
All right. So I think um, I think third culture kids is something that a lot of people aren't familiar with. Um, you know, they don't know exactly what it means. So I was hoping that we could start this segment with a pretty, you know, with like maybe you could tell us like who is a third culture kid? Um, you know, how would how how would that definition go? Sure. And that's a really good point, because even in my career, which has spanned over 30 years now, I think my definition of what a third culture, well, I know my definition of what a third culture kid, my own definition of third culture kids has changed dramatically uh, since I started my career in international recruitment and in admissions um, over 20 years ago. So essentially, when I first started, the term third culture kid would be... um, I would refer to uh, students that were American because I was recruiting for an American university. Um, Students were American who were living abroad. Often they had lived in multiple places abroad. Perhaps mom or dad um, had, you know, worked for a business or industry, a company that um, had headquarters abroad and they had been to many, um, they had lived in many places where they had certainly traveled to many places outside the U.S. Some of them have not ever lived in the United States, even though they were American citizens. And so that's where the term third culture is. You're living in China and you're American, but you're not really Chinese. You're not really American. Where do you fit in? And the the uh, term third culture kid, in my mind, has evolved to now Students or you know kids that are living in the U.S. Let's say that might not be American citizens, but have lived in the U.S. for most of their lives, um, or they might be American citizens, but their parents and grandparents come from different cultures, and they speak to them in a language other than English. And when you ask a, a students, you know where their home is or what their culture is, and they pause, perhaps, and they don't quite know how to answer you because they feel like a citizen of the world or they feel like they belong to many cultures. Or I often hear that they feel sometimes that they don't belong to any particular culture, that a student from Hong Kong will feel less, you know, let's see, connection to to Hong Kong when they're there, but more when they're in university in the United States. But when they're in, the, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a feeling of never really being home um, or and or being home everywhere. So I guess that's a really broad definition. But all that to say is you feel like your citizenship or your cultural identity doesn't align with where you are in the world or maybe who you are in the world, then you might be a third culture kid. And what I also will say is that third culture kids know who they are. <laughs> that helps. Yeah, that does help. So, so it sounds like this is distinct, for example, from, um, or, or kind of let me know if I'm understanding this correctly. It does sound like this isn't the kid who was born here, um, often feels really, you know, feels, you know, is American, feels American, but there is a little bit of biculturalism going on because their parents are still very rooted in like their home country. Like the parents were born overseas, grew up overseas and only came to the U.S. like when they were 30 or something. So that's so that's not those kids because those kids are still like, I'm American, but I'm a little bicultural. Would you say that's true or am I misunderstanding? I would say that that's not as true um, 
I think that that's not sort of the rule, but I'll give you an example. So you have an American kid whose parents and grandparents are from South Korea. So they're Korean, and um, you were raised in Queens speaking Korean at home um, and speaking, uh, you know, English. Uh, or maybe actually, let me actually back up. So you were raised speaking English at home because your parents tried really hard to learn English and they wanted you to learn English too. So you know some Korean from talking to your grandparents or from your community in Queens, but you're not quite as fluent um, as you would have been, obviously, if you grew up in Korea. And so you feel American, but then all of a sudden, you go to Korea for a summer vacation to meet your other relatives and they start speaking to you in really rapid fire, you know, Korean and you don't understand and they think you're not Korean enough. And all of a sudden you don't feel very American either because you're, you're not. You feel a connection to this identity. So, you know, I think it's a very personal, if you, it's a very personal feeling. If you feel like you're an American and you don't question your identity, American, Canadian, you know, Chinese, then, then you're probably not a third culture kid. What happens to sometimes is that students from abroad come to university in the U.S. and they suddenly feel more American, but of course they're not American. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a question of where is my home? Where is my culture? If I don't know, maybe it exists in this third culture realm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you. That's really helpful. So, so ultimately, how might a third culture kid be viewed in the admission process? Like, I think it's, you know, um, yeah, just how would an admissions officer view them? I think people know that colleges are interested in diversity. That's absolutely um, the case. So, you know, is this a situation where they see diversity here? Are there advantages to it, etc.? Well, the wonderful thing, you know, as you said about admissions officers wanting diversity, is that universities are increasingly looking for kids with um, diverse backgrounds, and they certainly would include this in that category. Um, So essentially what we're talking about is admissions officers that are doing any sort of international recruitment are familiar with the term third culture kids. They're familiar with, uh, you know, the, the phrase. They're familiar with all the different ramifications. And still, most frequently, you find third culture kids in an environment where you have international school abroad. So one of the things, when I was the director of international recruitment, um, and I would go to countries where English you know, certainly wasn't the first language or anywhere close, they would say, well, how do you get by in China? Um, you can't speak Chinese. And I would say, well, you get by the way a tourist would. But also, a lot of the schools I'm going to are English-speaking schools. So the first thing that I actually want to say is, that um, every college and university has a different definition for what international students are. International might mean based on citizenship, but it also might mean where you live. And if you are an American, for example, living abroad, um, you are likely to be considered an international or at the very least a third culture kid. And that's a pretty desirable population um, for colleges and universities because you're not quite international, but you're not quite not international, and as you said, diversity is something that um, universities and colleges see as a strong point. Um, also, they give you know a certain texture um, to the sort of application pool, if you will. It's a, a different. Um, 
you know, as I said, a different sort of cultural definition when you say third culture kid. And even though you go to a school, for example, Hong Kong International School or Chinese International School, you can tell, actually, I've recruited primarily in Asia from my references. But um, when you go to one of these schools, your fellow students are going to also be from really different parts of the world. And so at, at all at once, you are very, very unique and yet similar in your uniqueness. Do you know what I mean? So um, it's interesting when admissions offices read um, applications from third culture kids abroad, um, they want to understand you, very specifically you, the same way they want to understand American kids who live in Cambridge, Massachusetts or, you know, Des Moines, Iowa, you know, something like that. Um, so the more specificity you give about your own personal circumstances rather than um, sort of leaning on the idea of a third culture kid as a group and I belong to this group and we're all so unique and we've traveled so much, um, the better it would be. And that, of course, goes for any student um, to focus on the nuances of their own um, experience rather than um, being part of a larger group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I worked with a student who uh, who attended an international school, and um, his his mother was his family was British. His parents had met in London. Um, his father was from Ireland. His mother uh, was from London, but her mother was from Jamaica. They had lived all over the world. Like he hadn't lived in the UK since he was like two. So he'd lived like in Hong Kong, like Shanghai and, you know, I mean, all over the world, you know, and then they were uh, living in New York um, when I knew him. And so when he had to, um, there was an essay that asked him specifically about diversity. And I said, uh-huh. well, you've got plenty to write about here. And he's like, my background isn't that interesting. Like, <laughs> and I, I just laughed, but I think in the context of his yeah. school, there were just I'm yep. everybody, just like you said, everybody was like him. So it was actually a struggle for him to write about it, which was kind of, um, I mean, it was just such a mind opening thing for me because I, I thought, well, your background is really interesting. And he's like, no, it's not. So it was, it was challenging to get him to kind of understand how to address it. And it's funny. I mean, I, I certainly think it's a good thing, but what we found in admissions is that the Students are becoming more like this. It's it's less and less rare that a student will have one ethnic identity. They they tick many boxes, and the same is true for cultural identities. And I think it will just continue um, as you know students get older, and um, that's been really exciting. But your story actually reminded me so vividly of these students speaking to. Students um, who have these accents that you can't place because they live in Hong Kong, which is, is a very distinct, seemingly British accent, um, but isn't quite British, but they sound really British. Or if you ever meet a student from South Africa who's lived in Australia and then moved to, you know, uh, Sri Lanka, I mean, their accents suddenly become this really curious mix of all these things. That's a good way to identify a third culture kid when you can't quite place where they're from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually had a student who wrote his essay about that, about his oh, his wow. accent not being placeable. And I thought it was a really interesting entry into discussing being a third culture kid where like he's like, nobody can place me, but I'm comfortable everywhere. 
you know, that was sort of his identity. And then he, in the essay, he really talked with specificity about kind of how he dealt going into a new place and explaining his accent. So, I mean, I, I, I thought, you know, I'm just kind of curious what you think about that story that, that kind of addresses that specificity that you suggest these students um, use in their application. I love it. I think that's great. I think that a successful essay is all about voice, and this one is quite literally about voice. If, if I had met that student and that essay reminded me of hearing that student speak, it would have been enormously successful, right? That's exactly, you want to be able to literally hear in your own head, I mean, I guess it's not literally because it's in your head, but you want to hear someone, um, the, the sound of their voice, the way you do when you're reading an email from a close friend and you can actually hear them speaking the words, even though you're just reading them. And so I absolutely think a successful essay would make me think, oh, gosh, I really want to hear what this kid sounds like, you know? So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Good. I mean, I thought it was great you know, as someone who's read essays for years, but I'd never actually done, like, I'd never been the lead international recruiter. So, um, you know, I I was, but anyway, I'm glad to hear from a veteran of international recruiting that that was good. All right. So we basically have like one minute left. Is there any last kind of pieces of advice that you would give? Or do you feel like we covered it pretty well? Well, just very quickly, what what you made me think of is the same advice um, that you'd give to any student writing an essay specific to that is that you do want to show and not tell. I think that where students um, fall down, you know, in sort of telling about their third cultureness is a list of here are the places I've lived and here's how I'm so unique and, you know, just sort of more matter of fact than, than actually talking about how their accent is different. Do you know what I mean? So it's that texture, it's that context um, that sets them apart. But um, this is definitely a, re- a growing population, you know, whether you identify as it or not. And what the wonderful thing is if you go to a university or a college that has a broad international population, or maybe even if you don't, you're going to encounter other kids with similar trajectories, if not similar backgrounds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much. This was very helpful. Thank you. Have a great day, Sal. All right. So thank you to um, Jennifer and all my guests today. Um, And now I want to tell you about our show next week. Beth Heaton, the regular host, will be back. And she and her guests will be discussing trends in merit and need-based financial aid, as well as answering listener questions. Uh, We regularly do do, um, answer listener questions on our show, so please feel free to contact us if you have any. One easy way to do so is messaging us at our at our College Coach uh, Facebook account. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find past shows featuring topics like how to pursue a career in the performing arts and more, always more listener questions. Um, And if you like our show, be sure to rate us on iTunes. It takes only a moment of your time and is absolutely free. Last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.